Hello and welcome to the Spectator's Americano podcast, a special series of discussions about the biggest political event of this year, the 2016 US presidential election. My name's Freddie Gray and I'm Deputy Editor of The Spectator. I'm joined today by Professor Gary Gersel, who is the Paul Mellon Professor of American History at Cambridge University. And his latest book is called Liberty and Coercion, The Paradox of American Government from the Founding to the Present. Professor Gersel, it's been said a lot that we've never seen a candidate like Donald Trump before and we've never really had an election like this before. But I wonder if historically you can point us towards any precedents, any examples of earlier American elections that might tell us something about where America will go after November the 8th? Well, in some respects, there are precedents for Trump. The United States has a two-party system, as you know. Each party is very big and capacious with many different ideological tendencies within it. It's very hard for these parties to move in a single direction, given all the different interests and ideologies they have to satisfy. So part of the way in which American politics works is when insurgents who are outside the mainstream, either on the margins or below, either a, a upsurge from below or a candidate like Trump crashing into the party, so to speak, uh, uh, and trying to establish a different voice, either a third party initiative or to take over one of the parties. This is quite common in American history. Uh, Ross Perot in 1992 was a populist candidate. Uh, Barry Goldwater was in the Republican Party in 1964, Mm. uh, took it over, lost badly to uh, Lyndon Johnson, but set the stage for the conservative takeover of the Republican Party. Robert LaFollette in 1924 tried a third party effort to really institute a British Labor Party in the United States. Teddy Roosevelt in 1912, William Jennings Bryan in 1896, the great populist candidate. Mm. I think in some respects we can see Trump following in this tradition. And from all the names I've just given you, you can see how common an occurrence it is. Not every election cycle, but every 10 or 15 years, uh, something of that sort seems to happen. And with with a few of those candidates like Mondale or Goldwater, I, I think you see a sort of a rebirth of the party or a reshaping of the party. Is that what you expect to see with Trump? Well, there's a different element to Trump, and this is why this is where he is very new. Those other third party candidates or who those who came into a party to try and take it over, uh, once they committed to electoral contests, they were willing to play by the rules. And and the establishment of the parties were able to get some purchase over them in terms of how they ran the campaigns. Trump doesn't play by those rules. He's not really interested in the future of the Republican Party. He's interested in the future of Trump TV, Donald Trump, and perhaps Trump <laughs> TV. Uh, and, and what is unique about this event Uh, Certainly in my lifetime, uh, and I've been around for a lot of elections now, I have never seen a political party in such disarray, in such a a state of civil war as the Republican Party is now. And so it will come out of this election deeply fragmented. Fragmented is not even strong enough. I would say shattered. Mm. And and there is going to have to be a reconfiguration of some sort. But what shape that reconfiguration will take uh, is at this point very unclear. One possibility, of course, is that the uh, Trump group continues to grow in power and takes over the party as Goldwater once did. I doubt that because a Trump party, I don't think, can win a national election for the presidency, especially given the fact that America is going to become a non-white country within 20 or 30 years. And and the voters are becoming, the electorate's becoming uh, 2% more non-white every four years. So time is is running out on Trump. After 
2012, the party thought it wanted to go in a big tent direction because they had fared so poorly with minorities. There is an example of the party going in a big tent direction with George W. Bush, yeah. uh, who was enormously successful with Latinos uh, in terms of getting their votes. But that was suggested coming out of 2012, and the party has moved in the opposite direction. There is a gaping hole between the what is left of the establishment of the Republican Party, which is not much except money. They've got money, but not much else. And a very angry, surly, unruly uh, rank and file. And it's in incredibly hard to predict which direction that rank and file will want to go. Well, it's an interesting comparison, I think, with Labour in Britain, which seems to also be a, a kind of dead beast of a party and, and looks a bit like the Republican Party now. It's hopelessly out of touch with its base. I wonder what that means for the Democrats then, because there's a lot of fear in Britain that the Conservatives, without a proper opponent will go will shift to the right will become a sort of um, impossibly right-wing government i mean is there a fear among american centrists i suppose that hillary will become a much more radically left-wing figure because there isn't really a proper republican party to oppose her uh, that may that may happen and one of the outcomes of this election is a populist surge not just on the right with trump but on the left with bernie sanders and the sanders camp mm. has gotten much less attention in the uk than trump but it's been a very significant development and has already pulled uh, hillary clinton to the left and there is going to be a robust left in American politics for the next two to four years, maybe longer. And that is going to have an influence on politics, uh, in contrast to Obama, who had no one to the left of him significant to contend with. And if the Republicans really do get destroyed by this election, uh, it may begin to look like the UK, where the only group that the Tories seem to be worried about is UKIP yeah. and uh, with, with no one to their left. As to whether this would be a good thing, I don't think what's happening with the Tories is a good thing in the UK. And it may be that if the Democrats get drawn too far to the left, that may not be a good thing for the United States. But the United States also has faced a different dilemma, which is utter, complete paralysis of the central government of the federal state. Obama has not a single piece of major legislation to show for his last six years of office. You just cannot govern effectively uh, in this way. And my hope is actually... Um, that uh, the Republicans will be so weakened by Trump that Hillary Clinton will will win the Senate and the House so that she will have two years to get some legislation passed and let the, let the actions be in the form of legislation rather than executive actions, which is what Obama has been resorting to. And if there's a lot of opposition, let the Republicans organize and take it back in two years. But I'd rather have a government with a mandate to do something than um, a return to or a continuation of utter paralysis of the federal state, which has been characteristic of American politics for the last six years. And it means that very, very big issues in American life uh, cannot be addressed in any meaningful way, and the country, as a result, politically declines. But what actual measures could she pass that would change the system in, in the way that you're describing? I would like to see a, uh, an amendment introduced in Congress to, to limit the influence of money on American politics, the notorious Citizens United decision of 2010. It's clear that the Obama health care plan needs major repairs. I would like to see her in a position to do that. I'd rather see it repaired than completely dismantled at this point. I'd like to see legislation on the climate emerge from Congress. Uh, Obama was a signatory to the big Paris Accords, but uh, that has not been submitted to Congress. It uh, doesn't need to be, but it would be in a stronger position if it was. And then I think the 11 million uh, illegals undocumented in American society, Mexicans mostly, 
has to be addressed in some way and uh, and not simply ignored. So there is majority support in the country as a whole for a path towards citizenship for illegal immigrants already in the U.S. And uh, that's another area in which she could make uh, significant progress. Yes, and she, she's actually promised it, hasn't she? In the debate last night, she was quite she was reasonably explicit about that, wasn't she? Yes, she promised that, and uh, she also promised action um, on an amendment uh, to overturn Citizens United. America also desperately needs action on infrastructure. I don't know if you've been in the United States recently. I have. Increasingly, the infrastructure re- resembles the public infrastructure, airports, train terminals, trains, resembles that of a third world country, not a yeah. first world country. And, Don- uh, Donald Trump has pointed out a lot too, hasn't he? Yeah, he, that's something if he were to be elected, he would be very good on. One more hurricane like Hurricane Sandy in New York and the tunnel, the rail tunnel underneath the Hudson River is wiped out, mm. uh, serves millions of people a week. Uh, that's those are the kinds of dire problems the United States is facing and on which there has been no action. Well, perhaps it's the paranoid populist in me, but I, I sort of instinctively think when you suggest that the Clintons might sort of be the people to clean up Washington, I instinctively think they can't think of anyone worse to clean up Washington. <laughs> Do you think they are more honest and, and earnest than the popular perception of them is? Uh, I, 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 it's useful to compare them to Blair in this respect because they come out of the same political moment. Uh, also, they are new Democrats like Blair is yeah. is new labor. And, and they have the same problem, which is that they've been around power so long that uh, they live in a, in a bubble where they have they no longer understand the privileged position in the global elite that they have. And they just treat it as normal. And they uh, have tr- trouble distinguishing between their own private interest and public interest. Certainly the biggest criticism that I have of Hillary is not the emails. It's that she was in effect running a private foundation dependent on private sources of funds and and donations from foreign governments while she was secretary of state. Uh, And that is, and the fact that she did not understand the deep conflict that that involves and the compromising position that would put her in is in fact deeply troubling. So there is a tendency toward corruption, which arises from too many years spending uh, too much time among extraordinarily wealthy people who like to influence things behind the scenes. And this is something that's got to have to be watched very closely. And this is, uh, however, I think where other political forces on both the left and the right, another thing that Trump and the Sanders forces shared is putting corruption front and center as an issue in American politics. And the pressure on her is going to have to be applied very severely in that way. On the other hand, there's another side to Hillary Clinton. She's long been a policy wonk. That's partly why she's never been that effective as a politician. She has a series of proposals, policy papers, things she wants to move on that she's been committed to for a very long period of time. And she did show some ability as, as senator to be effective politically in terms of personal relationships, building coalitions, seeing across party lines. And that's a very strong streak in her, too. And I think we have to hope that that is going to come to the fore more in, uh, when she becomes president. Yes, again, I realise it's a bit facile to always compare things to Britain. But my sense is we might see a sort of Theresa May-like moment when she came in and everybody thought, well, we, didn't, we never really wanted her, but at least she's quite boring and competent. Well, that's got to be one response, but uh, there is a uh, the number of people in the United States who hate Hillary with every bone in their body is very high, and yeah, that's something May did not have to contend with. She was very, uh, no one would call Hillary submarine Hillary, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, traveling deep in the water where no one can uh, reach her or find out what she's really thinking. Yeah, she has got to face mobilized 
and angry groups of Americans, especially in the Republican Party and in the, in the ranks of Trump supporters who are going to do everything they can to bring her down. And that's why uh, I would like to see her with a, a House uh, and a Senate that will work with her for two years, because one can easily imagine a series of charges being brought up against her about corruption and uh, an effort to frustrate all her appointments to do to her what the Republicans in the House of Representatives did to Obama, which was to, in a sense, neuter him, make him an ineffective president as as a legislator in chief. And yeah. that could be one of the outcomes. And that would not be good. And for the United States. I suppose that is the one real unprecedented here. And correct me if I'm wrong, that we've never had a president coming in. Let's assume she is going to come in now, who is as unpopular. That really is unprecedented. Is, it, is, it, is that not right? I, I think so. And it, it's it's. We have had uh, one question is whether she's going to have a majority of uh, of the vote. She may win with 45 percent because there's going to be a third party vote of probably somewhere between three and seven percent between the Green Party and the Libertarian Party. We do have a precedent for that. Uh, Bill Clinton got in with 42, 43 percent. The great Woodrow Wilson was elected with 42, 43 percent of the vote. So that's not necessarily a, yeah. a handicap. But there is something uh, about the animosity toward Hillary, which is particularly poisonous, which goes back. It was there even before she entered the White House in 1992. I remember that. Something she touches in voters that just rubs them the wrong way. And so the intensity of hatred for her is, as a candidate among large portions of the population, maybe close to unprecedented. And that is something she is going to have to contend with. And uh, how much of it do you think is misogynistic and how much do you think it is, is just because of her and her particular uh, ability to rub people up the wrong way? I think there is a strong streak of misogyny. America is a latecomer in terms of electing its first national leader, its president, and that reveals what we might see as a gender conservatism in American society. And the fact that the hostility toward Hillary was there in 1992 before she before her husband even occupied the office. Furious mm. arguments I was having with colleagues, friends, 1992, Thanksgiving 1992, that they were they were elected, Bill was elected, but she wasn't any, even in office yet. Uh, he wasn't in office yet. And also then her determination to carve out a new role as first lady, and also I think Bill Clinton gave her too much power. On the other hand, when John F. Kennedy gave Bobby Kennedy the attorney generalship, in his administration in the early 1960s, there was some opposition to it, but none of the anger and hostility that greeted Hillary Clinton. And there you you can see it, not misogyny, a, a, a gender conservatism. Yeah. That is a very pronounced part of American politics. And that is something that Clinton has had to contend with in a very serious way. And then, uh, you know, there's a history here. There are, this is the Bill and Hillary show, and they have clearly uh, made mistakes in terms of how they uh, have han handled their personal lives and how they have handled responses to their personal lives. There is a pattern of evasion, uh, not telling the truth. So that has Mm. That has compounded this this hostility. But this hostility was present even before the pattern of evasion, secrecy, uh, lack of transparency began. Have you been depressed about America this year, like it seems most Americans are? America, I'm American, obviously, um, and it's a country I care very much about. And it has had a very sturdy democratic tradition that has survived all sorts of adversity. And to see Trump do so many things to challenge civility on the one hand and democratic procedures on the other has been very painful for me to watch. And then just continue on and get more and more support and seemingly 
unstoppable. I think also of all the energy of the civil rights revolution to address racial inequities in American society and all the effort, you know, racial prejudice in American society will never be eliminated. Hmm. But all the energy that went into putting so many of those of those resentments into a closet, locking the door, putting the key in the custody of responsible people. In other words, the resentments got locked up and could not be let loose on American politics to work their poison. Trump has un- has gotten the key, unlocked that door, and has unleashed those sentiments. But do you think do you think partly he's done it using a sort of civil rights attitude? In that you know, if you look at the sort of Twitter feeds of Ann Coulter or someone like that, they very much talk about poor white Americans as though they are the oppressed minority without rights. That's obviously a bad comparison, but it's one that they do, and they use a sort of language of civil rights about. Poor whites. Do you, th- do you think that's is that true? I would put it a somewhat different way. One of the good things that Trump has done and Sanders has done it too is to put the issue of economic inequality front and center in American politics. Yeah. In, in a way, it has not been for seventy years since since the New Deal. Yes. Since since the nineteen thirties, I consider that to be a healthy development because I think it is an issue that needs attention and the and the poor of all races in America, including the poor of among the whites, their needs need to be addressed, and they haven't been. We've had uh, a rush toward globalization with the assumption being that if you open borders, open trade, open the flow of capital to every corner of the world, that there will be only winners that result. And clearly there have been winners, and also very clearly there have been losers. Yes. The problems that have emerged have to be addressed. And, and Trump, that's been one of his issues, and I give him credit for that and his people for pushing that to the fore. But again, to contrast with Sanders, Sanders has done that without doing it in a racialized way, without suggesting that if we just ship 11 million Mexicans home, Mm. everything in America will be okay. So in that way, the attack on the civil rights legacy has been very serious. Legitimation, once again, of racial attitudes, of racism, the winking at the far right, which is steeped in anti-Semitism and anti-black and anti-minority sentiments. Mm. They are now a much bigger factor to be reckoned with in American politics. Again, to draw comparisons with Britain and Europe, these demons have been unleashed all over Europe as well. And and if you think in Europe, the effort that has been has gone into, again, not eliminating them, but containing them, putting them in a safe place where they can't contaminate politics, the genie um, has been unleashed, and we're going to have to contend with these sentiments in the next 10 to 20 years in ways that we haven't had to do for the last 20 to, to 40 years. And I consider that to, to be a depressing part of politics, not just in the U.S., but in Europe. But it's it's now become part of the world in which we live, and it's going to be part of our politics. Well, on that uh, rather gloomy note, I think we'll end it there. Thanks very much, Professor Gersel. Thank you. And here's another reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes at any time. Thanks for listening. Please tune in for the next one.